Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Hi, this is Neil Garfield broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, this 8th day of January 2021. Happy New Year to everyone. This is the year that we take the banks down a few notches. Believe it. I will be shortly announcing several new ways to access the right materials and the right strategies and tactics to win the defense of homesteads against illegal foreclosure attacks. Here are some things you can look forward to. In short order, within the next two or three weeks, a free seminar, Donations Accepted, on Zoom offered to the first 90 people who sign up Watch the blog, livinglies.me, for instructions on how to sign up. Listen listen to this program, and you'll know what the first seminar is about. Second, a new program for panel review by myself, together with Bill Padalo and attorney Charles Marshall. Bill Padalo, of course, is a premier investigator in the area of securitization. He's a licensed private investigator, and Attorney Charles Marshall is a licensed attorney in California. Publication of my new book on Kindle and paperback, the working title of which is Keep Your House a Shameless Guide to Beat Wall Street in the Fight for Your Home. Fourth, publication of a new workbook for lawyers, an update from the last revision in 2018. Then more seminars for lawyers with CLE credit. Then more seminars for homeowners. A new list of foreclosure defense lawyers and contacts. Petition that I'm already drafting to the Supreme Courts of each state. It's going to take a while to do them all. Uh, for rule changes requiring allegations that the claimant has paid value for the underlying obligation and requiring them to attach an exhibit that shows that. Then filing motions and amicus briefs in Hawaii, Florida, and other states. I'm about to file the first one in the next few days. More blog articles that point people toward good strategies and tactics that are working for homeowners and more radio shows to answer questions. These broadcasts are paid for by GTC Honors, Inc., who receives no grant or other payment. Your donations are the only source of funding for these efforts. 
and they are appreciated. Go to livinglies.me and click on the donate button now. Each payment made by a homeowner to a self-proclaimed servicer is being collected, not by that servicer, but by a third-party vendor as part of a lockbox agreement, probably under the control of Black Knight. That money is not going to anyone who maintains a loan account receivable on their accounting ledgers. The payment is not reducing any debt account because the debt account does not exist under all scenarios in which there are false claims of securitization. And that means virtually all claims of securitization. Neither the servicer nor the named claimant ever sees a dime from homeowner payments or foreclosures. In simple language, as I stated back in 2006, and then wavered, because I said, well, it must be due somehow. But I said back then the payment is not due. And after going through some contortions, I've arrived back at the same conclusion. There's no payment due under the current scenario. It's impossible to fall behind or become delinquent or to raise a, uh, or to issue a, a notice of default on a payment that is not due. As soon as you reject the idea that the obligation is not due, you might as well give up the defense. If you admit to either the existence of the obligation or the loan agreement, or you admit the claim delinquency or default, you've thrown away the biggest, biggest investment of your life which, of course, is your homestead. That's because what you're admitting is that the servicer is the servicer and the named plaintiff claimant uh, is the claimant, the trustee is a trustee, the trust exists, and the holders of the certificates exist, and they own uh, the loan or rights to administer, collect, and enforce the obligation. So it's your admission that makes the bank's case. Challenge them aggressively and relentlessly, and you may be surprised to learn that is all they had, allegations and fabricated documents that were false, which means the documents were not recitals about real transactions in the real world. They were prepared for foreclosure only. They are not used in connection with actual transactions with third parties. Once you've admitted the default, you've admitted the existence of a loan, even though it does not exist. It's nearly impossible to take that back, which is why most homeowners end up walking away or they simply lose in court. Three things you need to know about how to defend your home. The loan, if it ever existed, no longer exists because in the process of so-called securitization, the obligation was extinguished. It was eliminated from all accounting ledgers of all securitization participants. Even if the loan existed, nobody under this scenario can offer proof. That's what's important in court, the ability to offer proof. None of them can offer proof of payment for the underlying obligation as set forth in Article 9, Section 203 of the Uniform Commercial Code, which has been adopted in all 50 states. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. 
You don't need to prove anything. That's the third item. You don't need to prove anything. But you must contest everything relentlessly and aggressively in discovery and motions. Tonight I'm going to be taking some questions. But let me tell you the questions you should be asking, and this is a preview of what will be coming in my book and the seminars that are following. Do I really have a viable defense? Why do I need a lawyer? What kind of lawyer should I get? How do I get a lawyer to take my case? Are forensic reports useful? How are they used? How do I prove what you're saying, Neil? The lawyer says I have no defense. What now? How can homeowners succeed pro se? How can homeowners use the material that I have set forth on the blog and in these programs? Can I use templates for pleading? Can I use templates for discovery? That's among the questions that you could ask. Now I'll go to the board and start answering questions. If your area code is 781, the first three digits are 294, do you have a question? Uh, No, I don't. Oh, okay. So much for that one. Okay, if your area code is 813 and your first three digits are 833, do you have a question? No. (laughs) Well, I guess I'm getting bad information here. If your area code is 415, first three digits 786, do you have a question? Yes, I do. Well, go ahead and ask it. Uh, I I took my loan from Countrywide, and in 2008, uh, BOA acquired Countrywide. I'm just wondering, uh, BOA acquired uh, beneficiary right, you know, or just only uh, servicing right? I'm sorry, I didn't understand the last sentence. Um. I just wondering when BOA acquired Countrywide in 2008. Did BOA acquire the whole thing, you know? Okay. So um, Countrywide was actually an aggregator. It was rarely a lender. Sometimes it was. But most, 99% of the time it was not. It was just an aggregator of data. The money for the transactions with homeowners was supplied by investment banks. Under the name of Countrywide, they retained servicing rights. Bank of America created a company called Red Oak Merger Corp. That company is the company that acquired Countrywide. 
and they changed the name to BAC Home Loans. About Home Loans, yeah. And then <clears throat> that company was merged into Bank of America, but all that got merged in, and we none of us have the details of that merger, but based on their announcements, all that got merged in was servicing rights, not the ownership of your loan. That's so great. the investment banks, and that was all back in 2008, I believe. So the investment banks are the ones who funded your loan, but they were hiding in the shadows. They didn't take ownership of the loan, and they uh, did not maintain any loan account receivable from you. Bank of America says in thousands of cases across the country that they own the loan or there's an assignment to somebody else as if they paid Bank of America for ownership of the obligation that's part of the so-called loan. Those assignments are false. There is no payment. And so the basic, if you were listening before, the basic thrust is that unless the party claiming to be able to administer, collect, and enforce the obligation, unless they can show that they paid value for the underlying obligation, then they have no right to be doing anything. Now, some of that is going to be presumed because the banks are creating facially valid documents. And by creating facially valid documents, it creates legal presumptions. But those, are, those cause legal presumptions of facts that are not true. And that's the full story. Does that answer your question? Yes, because uh, BOA assign uh, may uh, create uh, assignment of corporation to Nation Star to foreclose my house. Therefore, I yeah. think BOA do not have any authority. Yeah, that's a false assignment. And, Thank you. But but it's going to be treated as real unless you contest it, and you can't contest it unless you get into position where you can ask in discovery for proof of payment of value for the underlying obligation. If NationStar can't show that payment, which they can't, I guarantee it, uh, then the assignment is called a legal nullity, which means it doesn't exist in the legal world. So, okay, we'll go to the next. Oh, wait a minute. I got a few questions here in writing. Okay. How do I get a lawyer to take my case? This is a constant question that I'm I'm getting. 
because people are looking for lawyers and the lawyers are telling them you really don't have a defense. And that's because the lawyers, A, know nothing about investment banking and B, have not attempted to test the claims being made against homeowners. Those who are good trial lawyers and have tested the, those waters have found a very lucrative practice because they keep winning. They win if they persist, though. They have to be unrelenting to the end. And then at the end, the other side backs off or caves. So how do you get the lawyer to take your case? Well, the first thing about a lawyer that you need to know is that lawyers are like everybody else. They're sometimes lazy. They're worried about money, that kind of thing. So what people often do is they bring in a pile of documents or whatever, and they ask the lawyer to tell them what's going on. Well, that requires the lawyer to do a lot of work going through each document and doing legal research and then doing analysis and then coming up with a strategy and tactics and all that. So the answer is that the lawyer is not going to take your case unless the lawyer gets paid to do the analysis regardless of the outcome. So people often feel that lawyers owe it to them to do all that for free. Lawyers don't owe homeowners anything. They had nothing to do with the problem that homeowners are facing or the illegal acts of the banks. They had nothing to do with that, and they have no obligation to do anything about it. What some people, including myself, do is we do a case analysis um, I know Bill Padalo also puts out a very good factual analysis that summarizes, you can skim it, a lawyer can skim it in five minutes, ten minutes, to find the key issues and then decide whether or not that's worth litigating. Without getting help, most people will fail to get a lawyer to take their case or if they do find a lawyer, the lawyer will just be justifying their fee. They won't be out to win. They'll just be um, looking for delays and things like that. As soon as you adopt that strategy, you've basically lost the case. If you don't adopt the stra that strategy and you go to win and you really litigate it properly, I can say from personal experience as lead attorney, and, on, and as a, a consulting attorney on hundreds of actually thousands of cases, that about two-thirds of the time, the homeowner wins, period. Or there's a settlement that is very satisfactory to the homeowner, which basically is a payment to shut up. Um, okay, then... The other question here is, how do I prove what you're saying, Neil? You know, I can't find any case that says what you're saying. How do I know that's true? Will I make a fool out of myself 
etc. Well, the answer is you don't try to prove it. The answer is you can test what the other side is trying to prove. And if you don't make the assumption that the case is valid, that the loan, that there is a loan, and that the obligation exists, and that these people are in charge of it, if you don't make that assumption and you ask them to prove it, you're going to be pleasantly surprised because they have no proof. And that's because there is no entry on any ledger carrying your obligation if there's a claim of securitization behind it. So in discovery, sometimes you can get rid of the case on a motion to dismiss. If you look carefully at what they're what their exhibits are and what they're pleading, you, you you can often find inconsistencies. But that's probably a dismissal without prejudice. You can demonstrate that there's no meat in their sandwich by aggressively pursuing simple discovery on the existence of the obligation the ownership of the obligation and the right to enforce it or administer it or collect it. That right, contrary to what many people think, can only come ultimately from the owner of the, ob- uh, of the underlying obligation. So if you think that there is an obligation, then you're practically granting authority to enforce it. I'm telling you that in the process of securitization, that didn't happen. They eliminated the obligation, and they made 12 times whatever it was that they paid you in what they called the loan closing, but really wasn't, and they didn't call themselves lenders, et cetera. The lender, in most cases, was a party who has since gone bankrupt or will go bankrupt or, in any event, cannot pay any damages for violations of the lending laws. If your first if your area code is 559 and the first three digits is 783, do you have a question? Um, not at this time. Okay. So back to the written questions. Basically, I'm going to summarize this question. It really said, is asking, can a homeowner litigate this by themselves, pro se, in pro per, the Latin terms for not being represented by an attorney. Well, the answer is yes. Oh, since 2006, homeowners have been winning these cases. Many of them won it flat out and are living in homes on which there is no enforceable mortgage and some of them actually got rid of the mortgage from their chain of title. Most of the time, 
lay litigants end up with foreclosure mill lawyers running rings around them because lay people look to the substance of the allegations and they don't look to the procedures that go on in court. It's an absolute truth in every courtroom that once the decision is made by the judge that the light was green, then the light is green for the rest of that case, even if it was red, even if you find out later that it was red. And reversing that is a very hard thing to do. Why? Because there is an overarching judicial doctrine that favors finality in court decisions. So you want to get in front of all that, and if you think the light was red, not green, and the other side is saying the light is green, then in discovery, what do you do? You ask witnesses. You ask the claimant. How do you know the light was green? Do you have a picture? Well, in foreclosure litigation, you're not asking if they have a picture. You're asking, do you have proof of payment, a wire transfer receipt, a canceled check? 99 times out of 100, or I should say 999 times out of 1,000, they have no such proof. So along that line, I see a bunch of questions. People are looking for the easy way out. Uh, and that's why I included in the list of questions you should be asking. Can I use templates for pleading? Can I use templates for discovery? And the answer probably is you can't, but a lawyer could. And I often, in my experience, I've given templates to pro se litigants and I've given templates to lawyers. The times that I've given templates to pro se litigants have generally ended up in disaster because they really don't know what to do with them, how to follow up, which of course is the key to litigation, follow up. And the lawyers use them because it's a kickoff point. It's a point at which they understand the thrust of what they're doing. And so if I draft a, uh, a narrative for a complaint, they're quick to adopt that and uh, uh, use it in, 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 a, in a particular case. So, so the, the simple answer is I stopped offering templates to pro se litigants because, if anything, they were doing more harm than good. And I limit the uh, templates that I provide uh, to attorneys. Uh, and even then, I limit it to attorneys that I think know what to do with it. Not every lawyer 
comes out of law school and knows exactly what to do in litigation. And certainly most lay people have no idea what they're doing when they walk in a courtroom. Court procedure is the key to winning any case or losing any case. So what I want you to do out there is pay careful attention to what's on my blog. That's the key to winning. The odds of victory, if you follow what I'm saying, are between 65 to 80%. If you start early enough that you can end up in discovery. If you come to, to me after judgment is entered or after the sale, then you have a much tougher road to go. That's it for tonight. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more. Good night. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.